daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. Coming up, China and the Maldives upgrades their bilateral ties after presidents held talks. And we will explore the things at stake in Belgian Prime Minister's two-day trip to China. China announces new initiatives to facilitate foreign visits, and German rail strikes and farmers' protests are causing some disruptions in the biggest EU economy. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on our previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching "World Today." China and the Maldives have elevated bilateral ties to a comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership. The upgrade comes as Maldivian President Mohamed Muiz pays a five-day state trip to China. Chinese President Xi Jinping held talks with Muiz on Wednesday in Beijing, saying China and the Maldives have set a good example of equality and mutual benefit between countries big and small. Xi Jinping has also called on the two sides to strengthen cooperation in trade, investment, agricultural parks, digital economy, etc., suggesting that China is standing ready to strengthen the synergy of development strategies with Maldives. China and the Maldives signed at least 20 agreements on Wednesday. So joining us now on the line is Sultan Hali, a retired Air Force officer and author in Pakistan. So thank you very much for joining us, Mr. Hali.、Uh, first of all, can you help explain what's this elevation of the bilateral ties to a comprehensive strategic cooperative partnership? What it mean realistically? Well, realistically,、uh, it means that、uh, the two nations—that is,、uh, the People's Republic of China and uh, Maldives—they、uh, are going to get even closer. Although they've had good ties.、Uh, In the past, also, but、uh, you see,、uh, due to、um, na- natural、uh, consequences like the COVID nineteen and also a little bit of uh, uh, propaganda and uh, other uh, issues uh, from another neighbor, that is India,、uh, things uh, were uh, not reaching the level that was required. But now, with this comprehensive visit, uh, the uh, ties have been elevated. To the highest、uh, possible level, and it means that the two nations not only will come closer in trade, in bilateral relations, and other things, but also become uh, uh, very close allies in the Belt and Road Initiative.、Hmm. So Maldives was an early party to sign on to the Belt and Road Initiative. It did so back in 2014. In that year, we understand、uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping actually paid a state visit to Maldives. A、uh, bilateral trade volume between China and the Maldives、uh, stands at about 700 million U.S. dollars on yearly basis. And in the pre-pandemic era, China represented the largest source of foreign tourist arrivals in Maldives. So, in the case of President Muiz, why do you think he has attached importance to the ties with China since he came into office last year? Well, it was uh, expected uh, for two reasons. Uh, firstly, because、uh, Muiz is a pragmatic leader, and、uh, he wanted a balance in the relationship. Especially in the region, because、uh, his predecessor had been leaning、uh, far too much to,、uh, towards India, and there is、uh, no, no problem with that.、Uh, you see,、uh, as far as、uh, the, the relationships are balanced, but、uh, there cannot be a zero-sum game, and zero-sum game meant that.、Uh, India was、uh, coercing Maldives to steer away from China, so、uh, Moiso has brought this、uh, relationship back to an even keel, in which there is going to be a, a what we notice a requirement of uh, having uh, more uh, influence of China, not in, in、uh, political, but in、um, trade, in commerce, in bilateral relations, in、uh, other challenges which even the world is facing, like、uh, climate change. So I think、uh, th- this was high time that、uh, this balance was restored. 
Hmm. So the city of Beijing is not the only place where President Mao has stayed during his state visit to China this time around.、Uh, for example, he has also been to the coastal province of Fujian, where、uh, President Xi Jinping once, you know, worked as a local leader as a local government official for 17 years. And Xi Jinping has told Mao. That、uh, China is ready to exchange some governance experience with Maldives. So, in your understanding, is there any experience or lesson in in terms of China's、uh, development? For example, in China's say China's path towards modernization that might be somehow inspirational to Maldives. Uh, indeed, uh, you see, th- there is normally、uh, v- wisdom in the、uh, visit plans、uh, for foreign visitors, and in this case,、uh, Moisu is、uh, the first foreign visitor being hosted by President Xi Jinping to China in the year 2024. Uh, uh, so, uh, including in, in his itinerary, a visit to the Fujian province was very, very uh, uh, significant because you see.、Uh, As you rightly mentioned, that、uh, President Xi Jinping spent more than 17 years over there, and that is where he、uh, made his stamp of local governance. And、uh, Moisu visiting the Xiamen Free Trade Zone as well as the Provincial Museum and Fishery Company is not only significant, but but also of significance is the fact that uh, uh, you mentioned. Uh, Uh, the exchange of、uh, thoughts on go-、uh, governance, and、uh, the Maldivian president is looking for hints of how to in- improve the governance of his,、uh, you know, archipelago, which has a very uh, strategic uh, location in which fisheries and、uh, tourism they are both of great importance. And pre-、uh, President Xi Jinping during his stay in Fujian had done wonders. For these things, so therefore, there are not only lessons learned, but also、uh, there there will be lessons for the future of、uh, the governance of Maldives.、Hmm. So during their Wednesday talks、uh, in Beijing,、uh, President Xi Jinping said that China supports Maldives in in terms of exploring a development path in in line with its own national conditions, and China supports Maldives in terms of safeguarding its national sovereignty, independence, territorial integrity, and national dignity.、Uh, why do you think these things are important for Maldives? Oh, these are extremely important because,、uh, as I mentioned earlier, Maldives、uh, has a strategic location, and in that strategic location,、uh, its uh, very uh, large and aggressive neighbor, India, has been in the past、uh, trying to exert its influence and also interfere into its、uh, internal policies. Now, these are things which、uh, President Moizu、uh, not only、uh, safeguards. Uh, they are very close to his heart, but it knows that from China's、uh, support of the five principles of coexistence, in which uh, not only uh, there are not supposed to be any interference from any outsiders, he believes that China will be able to help. The、uh, national conditions, which are in support of,、uh, uh, you see, the development of Maldives, and、uh, that is why he is pursuing this、uh, route and this path in which President Xi Jinping and Moizu have developed a, a possibly a, a, an accord, which will be fruitful not just for these two countries, but for the region and for this mega project of the Belt and Road Initiative.、Hmm. So, by the way, in your observation, do you think,、uh, to what extent has Maldives、uh, benefited from, say, its involvement in the BRI? It has been involved for nearly one decade up till now. Indeed, uh, uh, as uh, you mentioned in your introductory comments, that、uh, Maldives was one of the f-、uh, first signatories、uh, to the BRI, for,、uh, and especially because of the.、Uh, Uh, the maritime、uh, Silk Road、uh, aspect、yeah. of the BRI. So,、uh, amongst the、uh, experiences that have been gained positively are the Friendship Bridge and also the Ophthalmologic、uh, Center. But these are actually very small、uh, developments compared to what lies ahead. And for that,、uh, ch- um, the support of China was essential f- through the BRI for Maldives, and especially because.、Uh, 
you see, uh, tourism is the main in, uh, mm. or rather the bedrock of uh, the economics uh, of uh, Maldives. And uh, th this could also ha have led to a higher development if the COVID had not struck in 2019. And the maximum, uh, you see, uh, people, the, the country which uh, was sending its uh, tourists to Maldives was China. But because of uh, the uh, onset mm -hmm. of uh, the coronavirus, the number of tourists from China uh, receded. And uh, in the near past, the Indian tourists were coming. But there has been a spat with India in which uh, Lakshadweep, uh, which is uh, an island uh, close to Kerala, is going to be developed. And some snapshots of uh, the Indian President Modi holidaying over there have sparked a row. And the Indian business uh, and trade centers have decided to boycott Maldives from uh, tourism. Now, this is something which is going to hurt uh, Maldives very much. And that is why not only has uh, the Maldivian president requested the president of China to uh, send more Chinese tourists over there, but also because of the infrastructure development that will take place through BRI is going to ensure that the tourism industry uh, not only flourishes, but continues to be a source of uh, uh, revenue for the Maldivians. Mm. So some media reports about uh, Muiz's China visits this time around have a, a geopolitical lens like, uh, say, power rivalry or competition of geopolitical influence in South Asia. So talking to us from another South Asian country, uh, to you, Mr. Hali, do you think there is any sign that this relationship between Maldives and China targets any third party? Uh, I personally don't think so, because uh, to start with, uh, I'm very well aware of uh, the foreign policy of China, and especially in the recent uh, uh, declarations made by President Xi Jinping when he talked about China's foreign policy, especially with uh, Chinese characteristics. It is very clear that uh, China does not believe in uh, uh, targeting any third party. Now, uh, uh, there are people, there are observers who would uh, try to view this uh, visit of uh, President Moizu to China with, through a ge geopolitical lens, and especially that uh, you see the first visit President Moizu made after assuming the mantle of uh, presidentship was to Turkey, and the second one is to China, and people were expecting that he'll probably go to India, but that's not true in my opinion. Uh, I personally think that uh, what President Moizu is trying to do, and in which China is going to support it, is that uh, there is there is not going to be a zero-sum game or an either-or relationship. Maldives is not trying to get close to China at the cost of India, but instead it wants to have a balance. And that is why there is not going to be the targeting of any third party. Sultan Hali, a retired Air Force officer and author in Pakistan. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Foreign internet influencers living in China are hitting back as they face a fresh round of accusations of being cultivated by the Chinese government to shape narratives in favor of China. How true are those accusations? What's behind such narratives and who's been pushing them? Listen to what those online influencers have to say on this week's Chat Lounge, anywhere you get your podcasts and on CGTN Radio. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. Belgian Prime Minister Alexander de Croo is on a two-day official visit to China. De Croo is bringing with him a business delegation consisting of 25 chief executive officers. His trip is coming more than a week after Belgium officially assumed the presidency of the European Council. So joining us now on the line from Brussels is Cheng Weihua, China Daily's EU Bureau Chief. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dean. So, so first of all, Weihua, can you brief us um, about, say, how local media over there in Belgium is, in general, saying about Prime Minister de Cruz's China trip? 
Yes, I think there was a lot of attention. In first, I would say uh, there was a lot of emphasis on uh, uh, Prime Minister De Croo is going to meet the top Chinese leaders from President Xi Jinping to Premier Li Qiang and uh, you know Zhao Leji, the head of the National People's Congress. Uh, but I think uh, you know there was. Uh, uh, a lot of attention also to the delegation, which consists of a lot of CEOs, uh, and so which is very important because it comes at a time when you know we heard a lot of uh, rhetoric about de-risking, you know, but this is a, 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 a signal of more engagement, more cooperation with China, obviously. But mm. there is also mentioning, of course, uh, this uh, uh, the first half of the year, Belgium. Is, uh, assumes the presidency of the at the Council of the European Union, which is a very critical uh, six months uh, regarding uh, because the EU elections and the Belgian election coming up in June, and it's also the first uh, visit by Belgian Prime Minister since Jean Michel's visit in 2016. I mean, largely due to three-year pandemic. I mean, it's uh, mm. uh, not a lot of uh, visits. I mean, obviously. And there was, of course, a lot of emphasis on geopolitical tension uh, issues uh, in the relationship between China, Belgium, and China, EU in particular. Mm. So to what extent do you think this particular visit is about the bilateral relations between Belgium and China? And to what extent do you think it is about uh, the relations between the EU and China? Well, I would say... Both, I mean, are very important. But as uh, you know, uh, uh, Prime Minister De Cruz said actually before the visit, I mean, it was uh, he's going to discuss all aspects of bilateral relations uh, with the Chinese leadership. So I think a bilateral issue are still very important. Now, first and foremost, uh, he is the head of the Belgian government. I mean, just remember, it's a, a seven-party coalition government. I mean, for anyone who understands the Belgian politics is not easy. I mean, they waited a long time of 2019 election to form a government, uh, more than a year, I mean, wait. Uh, anyway, I mean, developing the economy, economic cooperation, trade, I mean, between uh, with the world's second largest economy is uh, critical. I mean, uh, I think uh, 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 Prime Minister Cruz actually expressed uh, earlier. I mean, we can also see that uh, from actually Foreign Minister of Belgium, uh, Labib, the visit. I mean, I saw her tweets in the last, I mean, she visited uh, Belgian companies in Shanghai, Suzhou, and the met mayor in Shanghai and Suzhou, uh, all uh, about uh, economic and trade cooperation, investment cooperation. So mm. that's quite a symbolic what the visit is about, I think. But at the same time, as I mentioned briefly earlier, that it's Belgian presidency, I mean, it's the 13th time. We all know Belgium, I mean, Brussels here, where I am, is we call it the capital of the European Union. So it's a vital year because of the European election and the Spanish presidency in the last six months did quite a good job. And so I think Belgium want to out-compete and to show that it also is, uh, you know, ha will have a great presidency. Even, you know, it's going to be a short presidency. I mean, there's a lot of uh, like 150 legislature issues going on, Green Deal, migration. I mean, uh, of course, geopolitics. And mm. uh, I think uh, we see in the last, uh, you know, EU-China summit in Beijing, actually in December, that uh, the tone of the European Union on China has shifted. I mean, less on ideology, but more on economic and a trade issue. I think that's a, a good, I think, uh, signal. And I think uh, Prime Minister De Cruz's visit will reflect that. I mean, I think uh, uh, there is a lot uh, yeah. to cooperate between China, Belgium, China, EU mm. on economic and trade investment. Mm, that's for sure. On the other hand, what about, say, the public opinion over there? I mean, for example, the public opinion among the so-called elite people, the intellectuals? I'm asking this question because some people in Belgium, according to what I have read about, they say, at all costs, Belgium must avoid a situation in which the Belgian position 
contradicts with the position of the European Union because if Belgium takes a different position than the EU, that would ended up benefiting China. They say because、um, China will once again be able to divide the European Union. What do you have to say about this kind of comment? Well, I'm not surprised after having living in、uh, Belgium or Europe、uh, for five years. I mean, I mean, you you're just used to all kinds of noises, especially given the sort of rising geopolitical tension, not just between、uh, China and the United States, but also、uh, China and the EU. I would say so. You,、uh, there is noises all the time, just to get used to. But at the same time, we should know. I mean,、uh, Belgium,、uh, for example, on the Current crisis in Gaza, in the Middle East, the Belgian country like Belgium, Spain,、uh, took a very different stand、uh, compared with、uh, other EU member states or EU,、yeah. you know, headquarters. So,、uh, so the difference is not just on China. I mean,、uh, I think、uh, Germany and France are different uh, uh, somewhat,、uh, you know, on China policies too. So, I think we're just.、Uh, I mean, Belgium. Is actually among the 27 members. I think is the more pragmatic uh, uh, country. Uh, I think part of the reason is what、uh, Prime Minister Kroos always say. I mean, said actually recently that because Belgium is a country of、uh, multicultural language. I mean,、uh, Prime Minister De Kroos himself、uh, grew up in the Flemish region, which speak a sort of a Dutch speaking, but he's. His mother was from the French-speaking area, so he speaks the French, Dutch, and obviously English too. I mean,、uh, so and、uh, he. I always say we are good at、uh, listening to different opinion, reach good decisions with compromise. So, which means, you know, you,、uh, the the fact that、uh, he is leading a seven-party coalition government, it's not an easy job, and you have to learn to compromise. I mean, we know China, you、uh, China, Belgium don't see eye to eye on every issue, but we still manage to. Advance the relationship greatly in the last forty plus years.、Mm, yeah, politics, including international politics, international relations, are about making,、uh, you know, artistic compromise. Let's put it this way. Now, talking about Chinese business presence over there in Belgium, we know BYD, this Chinese、uh, car maker、uh, with a focus on EV, has supplied buses to some. Some of the local public transport providers over there, and e-commerce giant Alibaba, for example, also has a big,、uh, uh, you know, stake or a big、um, presence at Belgium's、uh, biggest cargo airport.、Um, nowadays, it seems these Chinese business footprints are increasingly under public scrutiny over there or regulatory scrutiny. But in your observation, Weihua. How do you think they have contributed to the local economy or society? Yeah, it's a very good question. I would say uh, with uh, this sort of、uh, you know more complicated geopolitical tension, I think、uh, there is a、uh, you know some people always、uh, demonizing China, Chinese company, Chinese investment. But I think、uh, you know this is mostly by I wouldn't say all, but、uh, some politician and the news media. But the business community, as I I talk to, you know, they are all very sort of direct. I mean, because they see the benefits.、Uh, for example, I visited the port of Antwerp and Bruges, which is the largest, of course, in in Belgium. They have this Costco Chinese company、uh, invested a terminal, and the the Head of the you know the Belgian uh, uh, port uh, talked very positively about the cooperation because、uh, you know China is the largest trading nation in this world. If you don't have connection with China, if you don't grow connection with China, your business is not going to grow. So that's the reality. At the same for when you mention Alibaba's、uh, sort of logistic e-commerce hub in the Liege Airport, which is going to be the hub for Europe uh, uh, for Alibaba and Caniao. Actually, one of my former colleagues actually is working for Caniao. She visited here, and so I think it's all very positive in creating jobs,、uh, boosting the Economy, so but you cannot avoid some fear mongering among the by some politicians. Yeah, your points well taken. Obviously, a Chinese mindset about China EU ties or China 
uh, Europe ties in general is that really disagreement and a competition shouldn't stand in the way of more cooperation. But thank you very much for joining us. That was Mr. Chen Weihua, China Daily EU Bureau Chief. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back after a short break. You are listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hanlin, Beijing. Foreign students, business people, and tourists will find it easier to travel to China as the country further loosens its visa requirements. Under the latest new policy, visa applications are simplified, and foreigners will be able to apply for re-entry visas. Port visas, also better known as visa on arrival, will be issued to people who need to enter China urgently for work or other purposes. These moves are, of course, part of China's broader efforts aimed at attracting foreign nationals or foreign travelers, as well as serving the country's higher quality opening up. So, for more, my colleague Xu Yawen talked with Ina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. Anna, as visa applications to China are simplified, what message have you received? Well, it's it's really、uh, putting into action what Xi Jinping has been talking about, and the government has been talking about, and that is these people-to-people exchanges. Now, there's two parts to this. One is、uh, getting to know each other.、Uh, COVID really cut everybody off for three and a half years, and the social and organized media kind of widened the gap by,、uh, you know, saying there's a lot of negative. Differences between cultures, when in actuality everybody was suffering the same, and they're just trying、uh, to do the best they could.、Um, but this is people-to-people exchange on on the cultural level, which has to be expanded. And then there's also the economic side.、Uh, it's very h- hard to do a business deal if you haven't been to the country, seen the opportunities,、um, you know, been able to sh- shake hands with people that you think you can do business with. So, sign contracts as well. I think it's a very very positive thing for everybody. Is a very positive signal to the world. When you're reading through this、uh, new measures, is there any specific one you think, okay, that one will make foreign travelers coming to China a lot more easier? Okay, the the, the number one、uh, issue is not having to provide all of that information. That, you know, an itinerary, an invitation letter, a round trip ticket, your hotel,、uh, where you'll be staying, all of these things.、Um, it, it, it was just all paperwork. Um, but whether you're coming from the U.S. or Europe, you had to have these things. Getting rid of them really makes it seem like China is opening、uh, up and being much more welcoming. I know you mentioned you touched upon this very briefly. Could you elaborate more on how will this simplified visa application process help in boosting international collaboration, fostering trade partnerships, and promoting cultural exchange? Okay, so over the last month, there's been uh, three uh, different announcements. One、uh, was that France, Spain, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, and Malaysia、uh, would be able to travel visa-free to China for 15 days, and it didn't matter if they were coming for a business or to see family members or just、um, be tourists. So it just makes it easier. You basically will go to the uh, uh, you'll register upon arrival. And then you'll be able to go about doing what you need to do, and it's it's much more relaxed,、uh, much more open, friendly.、Uh, a lot of the suspicion、uh, is being dropped,、um, and this just allows a free movement. It's really important. The second、um, announcement was this agreement with Thailand in March.、Uh, there'll be、uh, visa-free going both ways, which isn't the case with France, Spain, Germany, and Italy.、Um, they still have.、Um, Uh, you know visa requirements, but they're much more relaxed these days, and they're able to get it done in a day or two.、I、talked to a number of the ambassadors, and they were very pleased、uh, that they had、uh, organized things. So it's a lot easier than it used to be. Some embassies basically not give you a visa,、um, and not European. This is elsewhere, India, and they hold your passport for quite some time. It's very, very difficult、uh, for a lot of people, especially if they're trying to do business.、Uh, and the last one is the U.S.、Uh, they've announced that、uh, they're dropping a lot of requirements. You don't have to、uh, send an itinerary and show, you know, round trip tickets and your hotel and all of these types of things. So it's going to be a lot easier to do it. Having gone through that process in the past, having to get an invitation、uh, to come, I know、uh, how you know it's. It just seemed like part of the process. The time, but now that's going to go away at least until、uh, November of this year.
uh, when uh, they'll, I'm sure, look at the uh, how it's gone and, and then make adjustments as necessary. What's the consideration behind the country's decision to further open up its border? I mean, you mentioned、uh, just last month, China rolled out this one-year visa-free policy to ordinary travelers from six countries, including France, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, Spain, and Malaysia. And now, with the new measures to simplify visa application, what's your take on the frequent moves by China to attract foreign travelers? Well, I mean, it's quite clear.、Uh, during COVID, people were cut off. The social and organized media kind of made things worse. And you know, people have to actually see each other to understand that no one is being a no one is a monster. And you know, when people come to China, they'll see that it's safe.、Um, you know, people are friendly. There are lots of opportunities. It's it's not the the picture that is painted、uh, when you go online、uh, or the organized press. So you have creating that opportunity to people get rid of the stereotypes that they've developed over the last three and a half years. Very, very, very important.、Uh, once people understand that, they have to take with a large grain of salt、uh, everything that they hear and read about China、uh, based on their own impressions. Actually, coming here. There's also, the, as I said, the economic side of this. This encourages these countries to come and do business here.、Uh, when you start looking at the European countries, these are all major trade partners、uh, for China. But China, it's clear they didn't want to leave out their newest and biggest trading partner, which is Southeast Asia.、Uh, so、uh, you, you have both、uh, Malaysia. A very important uh, country to uh, China, big player in ASEAN, and also Thailand. And I would expect that there's going to be more of these.、Uh, a lot of it、uh, has to do with、uh, just going through、uh, the procedures, making sure things are safe.、Um, but I, I do forecast that China will continue to roll out more and more ease of entrance to China. We saw a number. It says that China has welcomed a total of 210 million visitors last year. Are recovering to nearly 63 percent of the levels seen in 2019. That's the year before the pandemic, and Chinese officials expect to see that number continue to increase this year. So, under that context, how will this increasing number of travelers to China contribute to the economic growth for both China and other related nations? Well, two tracks.、Uh, one, uh, tourism uh, basically within China、uh, will go up, and you know it's funny. The more people you have arriving from another country, and the more you get to know them, the more you know you say, "Well, I should go to that country." So, outbound tourism、uh, to those countries、uh, should also increase.、Uh, you know, there's there's been a lot of feeling on on both sides that oh, they don't like us anymore. Uh, or you know they they resent something. So that's really to do with the politics. People to people,、uh, they're still the same, and they need to、uh, understand that.、Uh, that, as I said, leads to tourism. But there's also the secondary.、Uh, I'm I'm not going to do business in China,、uh, or if I'm China, I'm not going to do business in in France if I can't get there. <laughs> I need to see the opportunities. I need to meet、uh, potential business partners, see what is necessary, sign contracts, and then. Uh, you know, have a sense that I can get back and forth, or, or my、uh, employees can get back and forth to do、uh, what is necessary to do business, whether it's in China or, or abroad. Ina Tengen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute, talking to my colleague Xu Yawen. You are listening to World Today. We'll be back. In the United States, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley have lashed out at each other as they battle for the second place in the Republican primary. The two candidates held a televised debate in the state of Iowa on Wednesday. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis accused Haley, who is the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, of doing her donors' bidding. Haley responded by calling DeSantis a serial liar. The two rivals also clashed over foreign policy, in particular over aid to Ukraine. The debate was held days ahead of the Iowa caucuses, which is the official start of the presidential primary. So, joining us now on the line is Joseph Mahoney, professor of political science and international relations with East China Normal University. Welcome back. Thank you. So, first of all, Professor, briefly, what is your main takeaway from this latest debate? 
Well, frankly, they, they both did damage to each other, uh, which doesn't help either vis-a-vis -vis Trump, who they're both fearful of attacking as forcefully as they attack each other. Uh, on the whole, Haley is outpolling DeSantis, and I don't think this will change. Uh, what's interesting is that DeSantis is a more natural fit for the Republican base if Trump wasn't in the race, while Haley is a better fit to win the center and swing voters, which would be necessary uh, in the general election. Mm. So in particular, we understand both Haley and DeSantis actually took a jab at Donald Trump during this debate on Wednesday. However, their harshest rhetoric has been reserved and then directed at each other. What do you make of this particular phenomenon? Well, first, Trump is perceived by his supporters as a victim, and this includes a substantial part of the Republican base. Uh, it would harm both Haley and DeSantis to attack Trump forcefully uh, and alienate that base if they, too, would like to win it. Uh, that said, uh, compared with Haley, DeSantis has taken a stronger position against Trump. Uh, second, it's conceivable that both would like to be considered possible vice presidential running mates if Trump wins the nomination. If so, then this could be another reason why they're keeping the criticism light when they're talking about him, but, but being quite forceful with each other. Uh, third, if for some reason Trump is forced uh, to withdraw from the race, mm. and if he then endorses another Republican, then it would be very valuable and perhaps decisive, uh, uh, perhaps a decisive endorsement, uh, one that both uh, Haley and DeSantis would covet. And uh, finally, it's somewhat self-demeaning uh, to refer to a candidate who doesn't respect you enough to show up for the debate. Uh, and by some accounts, Trump seems to benefit whenever his name is mentioned, e, uh, whatever the context, positive or negative. So it's best for them to ignore him as much as possible. Hmm. So by the way, Professor, why do you think Donald Trump has once again decided not to participate in this presidential uh, or Republican presidential debate? Uh, instead, we understand he on Wednesday appeared at a televised town hall meeting, also in the state of Iowa, at basically the same time. He has no incentive to debate them. He's leading these other candidates. He doesn't mm -hmm. want to put himself on the same stage to consider them equals, nor does he want to expose himself to difficult or sensitive questions. Uh, by scheduling his event at roughly the same time, he's trying to monopolize the, the time slot and control how he's being presented. Now, some people will perceive this as a weakness, but for a critical mass of Republican primary voters, it will be viewed as a power move that effectively relegates weaker candidates to a largely irrelevant sideshow where they damage each other. Hmm. So how would you look at this decision by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who is who has been an ardent critic of Donald Trump, to uh, on his part to decide to drop out of the Republican primary? Well, it will be interesting to see who Christie ultimately endorses. Uh, he's made no such announcement uh, uh, so far. Um, uh, he is a reactionary opportunist, so we can expect him to keep his powder dry until he's more confident uh, in a likely uh, uh, winner. Uh, however, his endorsement probably won't count for much. Uh, at best, earn him a possible role in a future administration if his uh, candidate, whoever he ultimately uh, pr uh, promotes, is successful. As for who uh, benefits from his withdrawal more, it's hard to say. Uh, possibly Haley. Uh, this seems a bit intuitive. Mm. Um, uh, Anti-Trump uh, Republicans, including uh, New Hampshire uh, Governor Sununu, uh, has been calling on Christie to get out of the race to help consolidate support behind Haley, saying that uh, a vote for Christie is a vote being taken away from uh, Nikki Haley and prevents delivering that loss to the former president. Now, Haley has narrowed Trump's lead in, in New Hampshire, but most believe it's uh, too little uh, too late. Uh, perhaps most interestingly, though, uh, despite all the, blab, uh, all the bad blood between uh, uh, Trump and Christie, uh, Trump responded to his withdrawal saying, quote, I hear uh, Chris Christie is dropping out of mm. the race today. I might even get to like him again. Well, that's a pretty interesting rhetoric from Donald Trump, that's for sure. So, um, so now it looks increasingly likely, Professor, that uh, there will be a Biden versus Donald Trump race once again in America in 2024. Um, you know, from a long-term perspective, you know better than I do, because people have long been talking about a perceived uh, gerontocracy in American politics today. And by comparison, it seems um, uh, the political situation or politics in, in European countries in general 
is moving into a different trajectory or a different direction nowadays. If we think about the latest news in French politics, for example,、uh, the appointment of a 34-year-old man into、uh, the premiership. So, what is your observation in this regard? Well, first, let me say I concede that a Biden versus Trump redo is possible, but I'm still not convinced it will happen.、Uh, okay, <laughs> let's hope not. But、uh, but that said, one of the most interesting things about a perceived、uh, gerontocracy in the U.S. is that it's not a quiet issue. There are many who are concerned about it,、uh, but strangely, we can't say that it's a product of a large elderly population.、Uh, in fact, we hear a lot of older Americans who are also complaining about the age of the two leading candidates. And certainly, young、uh, younger people are concerned. So, why do we have this phenomenon? Now, one possible explanation goes back to the Hillary Clinton campaign, which she ran against Trump.、Uh, some believe that she gained、uh, uh, that the way that she gained control over the Democratic National Convention effectively sidelined up and coming、uh, political talent,、uh, sort of removing、uh, a couple of generations from being competitive, and that、uh, Biden managed to do the same in his run against、uh, Trump. Uh, but another explanation is that some of the more popular and charismatic young Democrats are considered too radical by、mm-hmm. the Democratic establishment, and they've been suppressed in various ways, as we saw in Congress during uh, Pelosi's uh, speakership.、Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, like Clinton, uh, uh, represented established, more centrist、uh, interests, and we can see these fault lines today. For example, with younger Democrats quite troubled by Biden's、uh, continued firm support for Israel. Despite the incredible bloodshed in Gaza, now with、uh, Republican Party candidates,、uh, they've usually trended older.、Uh, the exception being the younger Bush, but even he was running on the older Bush's name and with a large number of people from his、uh, father's administration in tow.、Uh, with Trump, he's older, but he's also so idiosyncratic. It's not really been a matter of his age among Republican voters. Rather, he's perceived as offering a new type of Republican、uh, militancy. Uh, one that was less committed to the old、uh, ideas than old people,、uh, primarily in the in the areas of foreign policy, trade, deficit spending, the economy, and so on.、Uh, although, of course, he was、uh, very much、uh, conservative on hot button social issues like abortion rights, gay rights, minority rights, gun rights,、uh, and,、yeah. and the like, where he moved policy and courts to the to the right.、Uh, of course, Democrats、uh, themselves see Trump as being too old, but this doesn't seem to affect how many. Of Trump's supporters regard him.、Uh, that said,、uh, Trump does seem to be showing his age, as as anyone would at this point in their life, and、uh, perhaps not as much as Biden, but nevertheless,、uh, both of them are old men and look like it. That was Joseph Mahoney, professor of political science and international relations with East China Normal University. You are listening to World Today. Stay tuned. Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievski Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy and management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of the World Today. In my opinion, the World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In the World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please come to join us. You are listening to World Today. I'm Dinghan in Beijing. Commuters in Germany are facing chaos as train drivers put on a three-day nationwide strike. GDL, namely the drivers' union, has called this particular strike, demanding better pays as well as shorter working hours. This is coming two days after the start of another farmers' protests that have blocked motorways and streets across Germany. So joining us now in the studio is my colleague Zhao Ying. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. So first of all, tell us more about this ongoing train drivers' strike.、Uh, for example,、uh, can you give us a clear picture regarding their demands and why they have chosen to work out? Yes.、Um, well, the the primary drive, driving force is their demand for a reduction in weekly working hours from thirty eight to thirty five without a pay cut. Um, and the GDL union representing the drivers argue that such a reduction would significantly improve work-life balance, combat exhaustion caused by long shifts and demanding schedules, and they argue this will make the profession more attractive to potential recruits, and this will potentially address the ongoing shortage of train drivers. But there are also concerns around working conditions and employee morale.、Uh, you know, the GDL highlights issues like. 
high overtime rates, lack of control over scheduling, and limited opportunities for career development. So um, the, the drivers feel overworked while undervalued, with their well-being often taking a backseat due to operational pressures. Um, but underlying this discontent is a sense of strained relations with the state-owned rail operator, DB. Uh, the drivers feel their concerns haven't been adequately addressed by the operator, and this leads to accusation of insufficient communication, lack of respect, and rigid decision-making. And this fractured trust further fuels their frustration and pushes them towards more drastic measures like strikes. So, I mean, this is this is not just about working hours, but it also signifies a deeper need for recognition and respect. Mm, yeah, somehow in one way or another, it is reminding me of uh, a, a more widespread complaint on the part of many uh, not only big uh, German businesses, but also many small and medium-sized German businesses uh, a complaint on their part is really nowadays there is just too much bureaucracy in German government and German uh, society in general, and that's a big hinder, a big, you know, obstacle for further economic development in terms of driving up the economic dynamism. But on the other hand, Zhao Ying, what about the farmers' protests? What do you think are their main concerns and how they have chosen to make their voices heard? Yes, uh, well, that's mainly about the proposed cuts to agricultural subsidies. Uh, these subsidy cuts threaten the financial viability of many farmers, particularly those smaller and medium-sized operations. Uh, with rising production costs, volatile market prices, and environmental regulations already squeezing their margins, uh, the subsidy reductions feel like a, a final blow that has pushed many farmers toward closure. And what is more, farmers per perceive themselves as a forgotten sector. They feel their struggles have long been ignored by policymakers who um, tend to focus more on urban issues. And this lack of understanding of the challenges they're facing and also the vital role they play in food security uh, fuels their frustration and pushes them into uh, to take actions. And beyond immediate financial anxieties, the protests also highlight deeper worries about the future of the agriculture sector because issues like declining rural infrastructure and aging workforce um, both cast, cast out on the industry's long-term viability. So, um, I mean, in order to make their voices heard, uh, the farmers, they have been blocking a number of highway entrances with their tractors as well as holding rallies in towns and cities, which have caused considerable disruption in traffic. Mm. I guess somehow many people will be very curious to know, is there any underlying, say, ties or connections between the actions of these two particular groups? I mean, the train drivers on one hand and the German farmers on the other hand. Uh, well, yes, because I think it's um, both of them, both uh, of these two, um, you know, strikes of these two groups are about social anxieties and disconnects. Uh, both the train drivers and farmers feel their demands are being ignored by the government, and that that is why they need to to take more drastic measures to be heard. Um, and also, the two groups. Uh, share concerns about their economic viability and their future, and they somehow feel trapped within an unfair system. So um, I think the protests highlight a shared discontent with social inequalities and anxieties about um, people's future, and this somehow reveals the broader trends and frustration simmering beneath the surface of German society. Mm. So how do you think the situation we're talking about is likely to um, to unfold in the foreseeable future? And do you think there could be any potential solutions or signs of progress? Well, actually, I don't see any, um, you know, solutions in sight because, um, I mean, of course, negotiations between uh, GDL, the union, and uh, the DB, uh, that's uh, the operator, remain ongoing uh, with both sides facing pressure to find a solution. Um, and actually, uh, a DB says it is prepared to let employees work fewer hours, but only with a corresponding cut in their pay, which is obviously not what the union is demanding. 
And、uh, GDL had earlier promised not to strike over the Christmas and New Year holiday period, but、um, it said in a statement that DB management had not used the so-called、uh, Christmas piece to come up with an ac- acceptable offer that could provide a basis for f-、uh, future negotiations. And the boss of the union,、uh, the GDL union, said.、Uh, They are prepared to compromise and reduce weekly working hours gradually, but、mm. um, if an acceptable offer had not been made by Friday, they will have a pause and then initiate their next industrial action. And as for、uh, the farmers' protests,、um, actually, a German government spokesperson had already said on Monday that. The government is not planning on changing its plans to cut subsidies, despite the protests. And、okay. authorities have also voiced concern that Germany's far-right、uh, party,、uh, the Alternative for German Party, the Alternative for Germany Party, is capitalizing on the farmers' protests in to support its own agenda.、Mm. Um, so this means the protests might become entangled in political agendas that may. Potentially hinder the objective solution and further divide public opinion. Yeah, they are intertwined. So common sense would tell us that more often than not, this kind of、uh, unrest, protests, strikes by workers usually they stem from or they originate from some social and economic challenges. But the other way around, Jiaoyi, what do you make of the social and economic impact of these ongoing events? Well, obviously, the most direct impact is on transportation.、Uh, the commuters are grappling with canceled trains and delayed journeys, right? And this will potentially cause lost revenue for businesses and impacting many industries. And、uh, these prolonged disruptions may create an atmosphere of uncertainty, and this will potentially discourage investments in those affected sectors and hinder economic growth. And I think this can also exacerbate、uh, the existing social and political division within the country, with polarized opinions. Emerging based on sympathies for each group, and this will pile pressure on the coalition government that's already suffering from low approval rating.、Hmm. So thank you very much, as always, for joining us and for putting all these issues into perspective. That was my colleague Zhao Ying joining us here in the Beijing studio. That's all the time for this edition of World Today. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, download our podcast by searching World Today. Bye for now.